Hey, happy Friday. This week we talk about the upcoming Google Pixel devices that have been leaked completely by now. We talk about why the former head of product for the Google Pixel line has just left the company. We discuss the viability of modular laptops and more. This podcast is 100% funded by Nebula subscribers like you who also get the show a day early and with an optional video version as well. If you'd like to support the show and get early access for less than $3 a month, go to nebula.tv slash chillout. Hello and welcome to the Friday Chillout. Tristan Rainer here, joined as always by Martin. This is me. This is Martin. <laughs> Hello, Tristan. <laughs> Martin from Techout Tower and the Friday Checkout. Martin, you are in Hungary again. I actually very easily see the Statue of Liberty Lego there. Um, there yeah, we go. What's, what's happening there? Uh, family medical issue, so have to come home for a few days, but I should be back in Berlin pretty soon. Everything went well, so we're all good. Okay, good to hear. Um, yeah, uh, it's sunny here, so things are great. That That's pretty much all you need to know. It's um, spring. Lovely. <laughs> I'm so happy. Yeah, Martin, look, it's been a big week. So we've covered a bunch of this in the checkout. It's like Starship launching and then exploding and Exynos leaks, Twitter removing blue ticks, uh, Imager removing all uh, questionable images and Is old content. Is that how you pronounce it? Imager? Imager? I think so. What do you say? Imgur. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. This is, this is the Hungarian in me. You know, in, in Hungarian, you just pronounce everything exactly how it's written. So uh, it's it's a extremely phonetic uh, writing system. So uh, yeah, Imgur is okay. how I would go. I wouldn't, but okay, I wouldn't be surprised if I've um, I'm saying you're. I don't think I've ever said it that loud to anyone in my life before. Yeah, uh, yeah. But um, but let's talk Google Pixel hardware because it's a big one today, and we start pretty much. Yeah. Um, with everything Google will launch at Google I.O., it seems, uh, at least in hardware terms. Uh, and that includes the Pixel Fold. So the Pixel Fold has been um, leaked, hinted at for, I would say, a year or more. Um, and there's been good work by the trusted tipsters on Twitter. But CNNBC this week put out a pretty definitive report um, highlighting a bunch of things, even including price. So let's talk about it. So the Pixel Fold will pretty much be Galaxy Fold 4, Galaxy Z Fold 4 size on both the outer display and the book-style open tablet as well. It'll weigh a little bit more than the Fold 4, but have a bigger battery. And there's something I didn't expect just to a, claim. Just a tiny bit bigger, right? I think it's 4,700, yeah. so, yeah. Right. And I think the only reason they have to do that is probably because it's going to use the Tensor G2 chip, which is probably not as efficient as uh, a slightly more... Qualcomm. Thing. Yeah, if 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 it's going to be Qualcomm based, um, especially for the Fold Five coming up, which is probably only a few months away as well. Um, uh, but see, Google is also claiming the most durable hinge on a foldable, which is a bold claim for its very first generation foldable. Um, yeah, and Google will say so there's, there's a lot of details. Google will also offer a phone trade-in option, so which you might need because this thing will cost about seventeen hundred dollars, but you'll get a free Pixel Watch. Apparently, seventeen hundred euros or eighteen hundred dollars no no seventeen hundred dollars okay american dollars i read, yes. I read 18 but i guess uh, Did you? we'll see oh well <laughs> okay well it's in that range um yeah uh i think the fold 4 is 1800 retail um so yeah. it's right in the ballpark here so uh martin why is google releasing a foldable competitor to the z fold 4 that sounds a lot like the z fold 4 in terms of size weight and price it does sound like a dizzy fold for a lot, doesn't it? I mean, like, I'm very happy that they're doing this because it means, uh, especially together with the other rumors, that they're releasing a uh, Pixel tablet. Well, those are not rumors by now. I guess it's, it's pretty much confirmed. Um, it means that the company is definitely focusing Android more on a larger form factors and, and creating UI and 
uh, software in general uh, that works better uh, across all of these things. So even if you don't get a Pixel foldable, Android itself and Android apps are supposed to get better because it would be pretty embarrassing if Google didn't do some work uh, given that they have a device of their own. Uh, but other than that, I mean, like uh, $1,700, $1,800, uh, whatever it's going to be, that is going to be by far the most expensive Google Pixel device ever. We've seen that right. everything is moving to, moving towards the premium. We've seen that this is, the, like, foldables are the main thing that uh, Android can do that Apple ca- can't do, that uh, Apple can't eat share away from just yet. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I think it makes sense, uh, and I think uh, I'm, I'm actually quite excited. Yeah, I... I think based on the other leaks, uh, which we're just about to talk about, I think it sort of it tells me that Google wants to have a headline act. So, if it comes to Google I/O and it releases a phone and a tablet, that's not very exciting. But if it has a foldable that does generate a few headlines and it sort of uh, gives some more good morale around Google, and uh, you know, there's got to be some tricks that it's got up its sleeve, um, given how long it's been working on this. So, it does kind of make you sense. Think there's going to be anything that's going to be exciting about it. I mean, like I, f- I feel like. I looked at these rumors and I'm like, this feels a whole lot like a Galaxy Fold made by Google. Right. Which is, yeah, someone's going to be making it. I don't know who they've got as their contract partner uh, to, to make this thing that we we may find out in 12 months time or something when people yeah. tear this thing down. But, um, but look, I, the analogy I keep thinking is like, just because a car also has four wheels and a steering wheel and an engine, you know, there's quite a big difference between these things. Um we know that it'll come down to the software experience overall. Samsung has had a lot more time to perfect its its setup, uh, but that can also lead Google in the right direction as to what to copy, what to borrow, um, right. and what to, what to try and improve on. So I think it's good for the ecosystem, but I don't, I can't say that it's going to come out and wow me with anything um, immediately. But I am very excited to try it. Like I really do want to see um, how they've how they've gone about this. Yeah, I just I just mean that like I feel like. The Xiaomi's and the Huawei's and the Oppo's of the world, they're making foldables that have, like, very unique hardware Oh, I uh, see what you mean. Yep. on the hardware front. Uh, yep. For example, being extremely light or extremely thin or, like, or, or having, like, a very interesting crease. Um, and I, I feel like the Google Pixel Fold does, like, none of that from, from what we can tell. Maybe it will have a better crease than the, the Samsung, but, like, that's about it from the hardware front. Um so I don't know. Like I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit underwhelmed by what I'm seeing in terms of like major steps forward and and hardware. But the good, the good thing that could come out of this is that Google actually does software better, and and that's probably the biggest thing we have to do anyway. So just just yeah. fix the software, and then we'll see after. Yeah, and maybe it's maybe it's just a it's a competition thing. You know, Google's only competing with the with the Fold Four. Exactly, it's not competing with these Chinese manufacturers who are. Managing, you know, if if this it's was so a very, if this is a very light um, foldable, that would probably make people like pick it up yeah. and be like, oh, I can really feel that, you know, like that's yeah. really something. So it's a shame, but uh, there's going to be some Google magic sprinkled on. I I hope, I really hope, some AI tool hidden somewhere that's going to revolutionize everything. <laughs> it's going to like AI recompile your app so that everything <laughs> is where it should be. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I want that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not um, sure. <laughs> but the other two devices are a bit more expected. So we are, Google's already talked about the Pixel tablet. That seems like it's coming, um, uh, I mean, at Google I.O. So we had some fresh leaks from the likes of trusted tipsters, Roland Quant, and some others who 
found some colors and storage tiers. But the kind of the main thing I found interesting was that it would be about 600 to 650 euros in European pricing. So that probably translate to about 600 US dollars, give or take 50 bucks or so. Uh, We don't know if that'll include the docking station, which is kind of part of the whole Pixel tablet experience. I don't know. All I can really think is that's not a cheap tablet. Like Google has never really, um, uh, like when when it's got its flagship products, they usually have been expensive until this latest Pixel Pro series, which has been sort of the latest um, 7 and 7 Pro were quite well priced. But Google hasn't traditionally given you much of a discount on hardware. So it's not too much of a surprise that it's not just a cheap tablet competing in that $200 range where there's all this sort of semi-bad tablets that probably don't last that long but exist. Uh, But so, look, it's not a cheap tablet. Google has to be packing something, um, and I guess there's just more to come. I heard that the... Well, the rumor that I read... (laughs) I heard. (laughs) I heard at the internet... No, actually, the rumor that I read uh, said that the uh, charging dock, the magnetic charging dock, was included in all the versions of the Pixel tablet. Uh, so that could be a di- something that makes a difference. So for uh, viewers and listeners, this is supposed to be something that looks a whole lot like a like a home tablet. So it docks on a on a magnetic uh, station, and uh-huh. it's supposed to be like your control for your lights and stuff, uh, as much as it's supposed to be like a Netflix viewing device. Uh, and maybe that's supposed to be the selling point. I don't know. I don't care much about tablets. I've I've never had one. I don't know why I'd want one. I have a foldable, <laughs> foldables all the way, <laughs> rock and roll. But uh, good for Google, and hopefully we get better tablet software. Well, if you don't have an opinion about that, then I don't know if you're going to have an opinion about the other thing to come, which is the Pixel Seven A, which Google has done a classically poor job of keeping a secret. Um, yeah, a lot of details here. So you get an upgraded main camera. You get the Tensor G2 chip, you get the 90 hertz display, wireless charging is coming, and if you believe all the, the leaks, uh, it'll also be uh, a little $50 price bump from the Pixel 6a, which is um, you know, a little bit tricky, but it, but apparently Google will keep the 6a around, so you still have a slightly cheaper option, um, and honestly, those details for the 7a kind of make it a pretty good competitor to the 7 and 7 Pro, so seeing exactly where that ends up will be pretty interesting, I think, but uh, especially because it's going to be widely available in theory, including in North America. Yeah. Uh, only fun fact that I have to add to this is that I saw recently market share figures about uh, the top five uh, best-selling phones in various markets. And in Japan, the Pixel 6a was, I think, the number three spot or something like this. Yeah. It's all iPhones, obviously, in almost obviously. all the countries except for India. And then uh, the only difference is Japan, where there's like a single Pixel 6a. So that's exciting. Okay. Thanks, Japan. Thanks for contributing to, to Google. Um, yes. No, but the Google, the Pixel topic is, is kind of interesting, and it gets a little tiny bit weirder with one more bit of news, which is that Sabrina Ellis, who's the vice president of product management at, product management at Google, uh, she's leaving for Pinterest. Um, and so she seemed to lead the Pixel team and has been in all the Pixel launch announcements for years, uh, at least back to, I mean, not at least, but she, all the way back to 2016 when the first Pixel launched. So, um, Martin, it's kind of, it is a meme that you won't know because it's from sports, but it's like, why would someone leave Google and the Pixel line that's come so far for Pinterest? I will accept money as a reason. That is a thing. That is a very good I, thing. I hope that's, I hope that's her, her reason. <laughs> 
get the bad girl. <laughs> yeah. I mean, whatever, whatever pays. But um, I don't know. It feels a little bit weird that she'd leave before the foldable, but maybe the foldable is just a big deal to us nerds and like to somebody who's just been a senior uh president vice president of products for 12 years at google it's just another product that came along and then she's okay. like whatever i'm done with this stuff <laughs> <laughs> and you hope it's not the case no i i mean the 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 conspiracy theory is this is a bad sign for the pixel team right you know like she's right. losing resources or uh she can see that the pixel light isn't getting as enough attention that would be right. a crazy thing to happen given just how much google's actually started trying including you know the watch and I have a hard tablet. time imagining that that's the case. Like you can see right. from the outside, it very much looks like the Pixel team is finally getting their act together. They're right. finally releasing big products. They're finally somewhat successful in the market. So, yeah, but it it could be. Maybe we're not seeing everything in the uh, from the outside. Yeah, the only other thing I can think of, and I wrote this down, so I, I will say it. But um, she seemed to come from the software side, and she was part of Android in the past. So. Uh, Yep. Uh, Pinterest seems to have ambitious goals with its software to let you buy anything that you pin on Pinterest. So maybe that is interesting. Maybe it's know. more interesting to her. Yeah. Yeah. Not to me, but you know. Um, okay, Same. Martin. <laughs> uh, moving on. Uh, so overnight, we saw finally some details from Humane. Um, and we've talked about this a few times. Uh, and it actually showed off its product, weirdly, at a TED Talk. Uh, and Martin, I was pretty surprised by this. And for about 12 seconds, I was really impressed. I was like, oh, oh, oh this is cool. And then I was like, oh. So for, I'll just give you the background. For anyone who hasn't seen this yet, but you probably will because it's going to be everywhere. Brief backstory. Humane has a couple of Apple veterans who've, who've co-founded it. Uh, they've raised something like $230 million to get it off the ground. It's work. It's some kind of AI-powered wearable. It seems to be like a badge that you wear. We've heard nothing about it. We've seen some weird hype, some teasers. Um Sounds like it's going to be pretty interesting. Uh, one of the leaders is ex-Apple veteran Imran Chowdhury, and he finally showed off something from Humane um, after years of just teasers, and it was at a TED Talk, as I said. Uh, and, um, yeah, it's a this tiny is, badge. This is such a weird way of announcing anything. <laughs> right, at a TED Talk. It's kind of like what you should have done a decade ago, not not now. I, th- I feel yeah, but like... also, like, I don't know. I, I don't yes, know, go on. It's just... <laughs> Like who goes on a TED talk to like kind of talk about a product that is like so closely guarded? It's such a secret, and you yep. just kind of show like random parts of it off, and it's <laughs> I don't know. Like do a press no, release? It do does a seem show? Really, it does seem really poorly done because it's leaking from the TED talk. So yeah. like we're seeing clips on Twitter and stuff rather than you know like the properly packaged, hype rendered videos and the nice. Uh, Wait, what am I trying to say? A nice uh, voiceover. Voiceover. You know, that, all that, that kind of stuff. That was nice. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm, I'm impressed already. <laughs> uh, so, some weird things happening, uh, but, you know, whatever. That's the. It's all that really matters is the product. Um, and it's a tidy badge. It doesn't need your phone. It has a camera that can tell you about what you're showing it. It can do live translations. Uh, it can project a kind of basic image onto your hand with additional information. We saw all that. It's all, obviously all a demo, so we don't know exactly... What? And the projector seems to be like a single color, so it's there's I guess it's blue or off. Uh, these are the two versions of the screen, as oh, far yeah, as I, I can I, tell. Yeah, right, right. I was going to say it was green or green, whatever. <laughs> well, it's just like a single color projector. Green is more nerdy, you know. Yeah. Like yeah. The, anyway, uh, 
so yeah, there's a bunch of details. We'll link to the inverse.com um, uh, article, which did a pretty good job of, of tracking down um, some of the details. But the whole video is meant to go live, I think, tomorrow um, from the TED Talk. So a lot more will come out. But uh, whew, the actual demo, I mean, you see some pictures and you see some hype stuff. And you know, oh, that's kind of cool. And even with it being carefully curated, it just wasn't very impressive. Have you watched these videos? I've seen their ads and a few of the things that they've done before. And I just, do you, like all the time, I keep thinking that these are people who like really believe their own hype. And like, I'm just not sure if I believe any of their hype. Like maybe right, I right. hope that they're going to blow me away. So the idea is that this is a device that will replace your phone because uh, you don't have to hold it. Uh, it sees everything as you walk around because it has cameras. And then it can like contextually make you aware of stuff. You can talk to it. It's like this like omnipresent ambient computing device that you're supposed to be more in touch with your uh, surroundings with which like, theoretically sounds like a good idea sure. I, have, I have a yep. very hard time imagining that would be useful for anything more than like snapchat stories um right so so i don't know so what we saw what we saw is is um literally like he held up a a, a chocolate bar i think or a music bar i'm not sure exactly what it was but uh, something he was thinking about eating and then it told him if he could eat it or not because it's based on his personal AI, so it it knows you, it knows what your intolerances are, and then it can tell you yeah. what, if if that thing happens. So, the the cool part of this, I think, is actually this the the idea of a personal AI. So not just not just when you ask Google if my dog could eat this, like you, Google now knows what type of dog you you have and remembers at all times and can give you tips about your dog and you know like that kind of thing where it's very personalized. Yeah. The problem with the demo, I think, really is so it did a live translation. But it was nothing like live. It was very delayed. And okay, it sounded a bit like the guy's voice, but <laughs> I, I don't see how that's really anything. Um, it, yeah, projecting that image. Th there's a lot of questions in terms of like, uh, what if it beams the info into someone's face? Like if it, if I'm talking to you and then you just get a beam into your eye, that's not good. Obviously, this, that's not a very difficult problem. But is there a recording light? Uh, how much battery can this tiny badge yeah. have? Like the actual problems, so, so once you many, start seeing it. So many. It's... And then, it really and then it will do something marginally maybe better than your phone. Actually, it's going to probably be worse at everything than, as your phone because it doesn't have the whole yeah, might of 2 billion uh, Android and iOS developers behind it. But uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can see why taking this out of my pocket and making it a bit more omnipresent and just a bit more uh, always available is an attraction. It's not worth 230 million in VC funding yeah. from what I saw. It's... Yeah, I, I try not to. I try not to be too negative on these things because uh, progress always comes in strange forms, and yeah. this is just one step along the way. But and having op omnipresent software everywhere that that's with you and tied to a very basic form of hardware that's not heavy, it's not weighing you down, seems cool. But uh, this ain't it, as far as I'm concerned. As far as I'm think. concerned, as well. I think I think yeah. uh, we can even move on because I'm kind of just uh, done with this topic. <laughs> 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 Okay, rude. Um, well, uh, Mark, let's get to our mailbag because we have a bunch of good questions. Um, yeah. So thanks to everyone for uh, sending them in. And um, uh, we collated these from Discord and Mastodon uh, this week. Uh, so let's jump into them. Martin, have you tried Framework laptops? Uh, I'm not sure if you've covered them before. Um, so the Framework laptops, if anyone doesn't know, are these sort of modular laptops that have actually emerged as a real product, um, something you can buy. Uh, and there was an announcement a few weeks ago about a new type of framework, like a, the 16-inch one. So uh, take it away. What do you ha what have you tried them? What do you think? 
I have not tried them. I've watched many videos about them, and I have, I, I do have thoughts, which is that uh, I think it's really, really cool that they finally made uh, modular laptops. Of course, mm-hmm. laptops were always kind of modular. A lot of them were. Like, if you bought a ThinkPad, you could replace the battery or uh, you could, you know, add extra storage or whatever. But it's really cool that you can swap out ports and you, in the last one, you could even swap out the yeah, GPU. Yeah, this is extreme. This is extreme modular. Yeah. This, is, this isn't just basic modular. This is everything modular apart yeah, from the display, I guess. Exactly. I think even the display you can swap out. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah, that's extreme, the whole point. Extreme can, modular. You can, ex- you can exchange the CPU down the line. You know, like it's... Uh, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can yeah. swap out the GPU. You can uh, flip out the ports if you want more HDMI or if you want don't want a headphone jack or whatever, you can like assemble it however you want. Uh-huh. So I think this is like extremely cool and uh, I'm very impressed by it and it all seems uh, reasonably well done. I have a bit of a negative uh, experience with modularity uh, that I thought would be interesting to share, which is that I actually bought a, a desktop PC a long time ago. I think it was like six years ago or something. Um and it was a completely modular desktop, obviously, like uh, like uh, the ones that you build yourself. Um, and uh, I was very happy with it. And then like something like five or six years after I bought it, I wanted to upgrade. And so I'm like, cool. Well, now's the time where this modularity is going to come in real handy because I could just upgrade the parts that I want to upgrade. Well, guess what? No. Because what, what do you want to upgrade? Obviously, you want to upgrade the CPU and probably the GPU as well. Okay, if you upgrade the CPU, you need a new board because all the old boards don't work anymore. Uh, uh-huh. you, I needed a uh, new RAM because the old one wasn't fast enough for my GPU uh, for my CPU anymore. If you uh, want to upgrade the GPU and the CPU, you're also going to need a new power supply because uh, it, it's um, the old one was not powerful enough for for the new chips that I bought. And then at some point, you're standing there, and I'm like, wait, which part am I not going to be replacing? <laughs> because the only <laughs> thing that's left. <laughs> is, uh, I guess, storage, which, okay, that's that's a valid point. I, I really like having the ability to add storage, buy, buy a new whatever, that I did that uh, while I had the computer, so that was great. I could keep, like, the CPU and the GPU coolers if I want. I mean, I guess there's only a CPU cooler. But then, like, like, would you sell a PC with everything except for its CPU cooler? Like, that's it. <laughs> you know. So I came to the conclusion that if I'm if I'm gonna have to get rid of the CPU, the RAM, the board, the GPU, the PSU, then basically there's nothing really you can salvage anymore other than the storage devices, because the only way you can sell the the rest of this thing is as a package, as a whole functioning PC, and so in the end I just ended up having to buy a complete new PC again, and that kind of like yeah. made made me realize that i think modularity sounds better in as an idea than it often ends up being in practice and i imagine that with a laptop this would be even more so the case like on a scale from you know like complex server on the one end and like a a tiny mobile device on the other the closer you get to a server the more modularity makes sense and the closer you get to a phone the less modularity makes sense (laughs) right and uh, I feel like the desktop is closer to the server, the laptop is closer to the phone, and so I imagine you'll discover way more as you have a laptop that actually a lot of the things that sound good, once you want to upgrade, uh, you just want to replace the whole thing anyway. And um, like this co- concept of like configuring your own laptop as well, 
I'm sure that there's a lot of people for whom that is uh, a useful thing. But in the end, I can just find a laptop that has the right configuration for me anyway. And if it has all the right ports that I want and the right chip and everything, then I just buy that. And it's way more integrated and way better uh, put together than something that has to also be modular. Um, and so in the end, for me, I think there's, I don't see a, a major benefit other than repairability. Although then again, if you have like a ThinkPad, that's actually pretty repairable as well. So yeah. You can, yeah, I think as long as you can like swap out the the storage and the battery and do like more or less the repairs that are most common. I understand why somebody would want it, and I think it's really cool, but it's it's not something for me. Yeah, this is really an enthusiast device um, to like it's because it does look like it's kind of be going to be high performance sort of laptop computing. Um, uh, you, you can even have your GPU as an external sort of GPU. Yeah. Um, which I, I don't mean to say even because you can do that with other with other laptops, but that seems like a big part of it, and you know increases the the ability to to upgrade and it looks very fixable and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I just my questions are a little bit more like um, you're relying on just one company here, um, and you know I, I know the, uh, people like Linus Tech Tips have, are in, involved and invested in it, but um, you're you yeah. You, you don't have a giant company helping you with this thing. Um, we can we've seen that raising money is very difficult at these these kind of times. Uh, I just I'm just nervous about by you know like, great I have this modular laptop I can't buy anything for it because they don't have any parts anymore or they're not able to. So I I have to push back against that a little bit. So uh, sure uh, they have opened and they are opening a lot of their designs and schematics and you are allowed to make modules for the the device and it's designed in a way that third parties can make modules for them as well. So of course, if framework just implodes tomorrow, then uh, there's a limited uh, number of years while that's going to still work. But uh, I think they're doing a reasonably good job at making this cross-compatible with outsiders. Okay, I actually, I actually didn't realize that about sort of like the open sourcing of it. So that yeah. means you can have a, you can have a uh, Friday chill-out um, module. Exactly. It's just a button with... that you press and it instantly takes you to the Friday chill. <laughs> turns, <laughs> turns the volume to max <laughs> and starts playing that that last episode. <laughs> this is... Uh, okay, okay. Uh, that will sell like hotcakes. Millions um, of dollars in revenue incoming yeah, any okay. day now. <laughs> so my my appeal is, Framework, if you're listening, uh, let me see this thing because I really, I really actually want to see what it's like and the build quality and the, the sort of design because I need a new laptop as well. So... We can do a whole episode on, on what it's actually like. It'd be quite cool. Um, Martin, second question. What do you think about Twitter changing its terms of service to adapt? And it says this clause, we'll show this on the visual, um, but the clause is basically, it basically says, uh, if you tweet anything, you, you're granting Twitter your world, worldwide rights to use that in any way that it chooses with the crux of this being, including for training AI or maybe even selling your artwork. So... Um, Martin, this is a bigger topic. Um, I sent you a couple of links before uh, to the fact, like, so social networks like Reddit, um, programmer social networks like Stack Overflow, they're all rubbing their hands together and saying, oh, this big lot of content we have, we can monetize this. We're not going to let anyone use this for nothing. Uh, is What do you think about this? This doesn't necessarily sound good um, because, uh, you know, us as users... Uh, giving out our our content and it's being taken by the AI, but at the same time, is this just this is already happening? 
I think this is a very interesting shift because the the way these AI models started is that they basically crawled the web uh, and and took whatever data they wanted. Of course, there's some limitations to this, but this was like a, a like an open uh, system that like tried to find as much data as it could, and then they fed it uh, to 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 train the AI algorithms. Of course, what we've realized is that um, structured data and conversational data and everything is very very good. Uh, for training AI uh, models and uh, specific domains like software development, if you have something like Stack Overflow, that's obviously very beneficial. But also, if you think about it, um, you take a subreddit, and there's uh, a specific content focus in a subreddit. And uh, if you train your AI uh, um, uh, model on a specific subreddit, then you will gain the knowledge of that <laughs> subreddit essentially. Um, and so. Uh, what this means is that if AI is something that will make money in the future, then uh, whoever has these troves of data, whoever has these large um, sets of users uh, having conversations online uh, is sitting on basically a pot of gold. And uh, in the past, uh, these were just uh, taken for free by AI uh, companies. But now the companies figured out, oh, actually, uh, we can put walls around our garden and our garden is very exclusive. And if you want to come in, you're going to have to pay us. And I think what, what this uh, will result in is, uh, and of course, uh, some platforms like Twitter are saying that actually we're not just going to charge for access, but we're going to train our AI on this. Elon has clearly bought the GPUs and uh, is forming the company and... Uh, at least he's saying that he's going to uh, do this. But what this means is that social media companies are suddenly getting a huge uh, boost uh, because uh, previously the only way they made money was through ads primarily. Uh, clearly the subscription model, I think, does not work, uh, at least uh, not to a degree that's like very important to companies. Uh, but if you can say that actually the real value of a social network is all the user-generated content that we have, that we can train AI on, then that's a second or, I guess, third leg of monetization that you're standing on. And uh, whoever has the biggest uh, pile of data will be the winner, I guess, presumably. Uh, and that actually is a bad thing in a way because it means that whoever is already big will continue to be even bigger in the future. Yeah, I, I had to laugh. I, Reddit CEO um, Steve Huffman has, has done, a, done the rounds and he told the New York Times this week that he didn't want to give a freebie to the world's largest companies, which is like, yeah, okay, you know, you, that's very a very appealing thing to say. But then the quote was, crawling Reddit, generating revenue, and not returning any of that value to our users is something we have a problem with. Okay, wait, I'm a Reddit user. What value am I getting from this, Steve Hoffman? You're not going to give me anything. This is just about Reddit stamping the ticket. The Reddit and user for a lot more known as the CEO of Reddit <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. is, is the one who's getting the value here. <laughs> Uh, oh, how do I, as a user, benefit? Oh, I don't. Oh, you Great. don't. You don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't. yeah. <laughs> so um, I would like Reddit to give away its content for anyone who wants to generate anything. Just leave out a bunch of those questionable subreddits. That's all I say. Um, yeah. Of which there are many. Uh, okay. Martin, um, what do you think the split between the iPhone Pro and non-iPhone Pro sales will be, maybe over different time frames, closest slash further from launch? Now, Mark, we've already talked about the fact that closer to launch, like in the weeks after launch, all the pro buyers step in immediately and they buy the Max, Pro Max or the top line models. 
and we've seen that from Samsung as well with the Ultra selling really well. Um, but do you see that? I, I mean, I don't want to ask you a question where the, I've just told you the answer, but uh, further from launch, will that sort of, um, whatever the split is, maybe it's 60-40, maybe it's 70-30, maybe it's something different, but um, do you see non-pro sales catching up to pro sales? Yeah. The further we get from launch? For sure. For sure. Okay, I think. next question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, uh, I think uh, the trend is that pro, um, if you look on a li- long time horizon, I think yeah, uh, multiple years from now, pro versions will have a higher market share than pro versions have today. But if we look on a one-year time horizon, pro versions will have, of course, they're going to go down until the next pro version launches. So, yeah. But I think long-term, we're on, on, we're going to see pro and higher-end models doing better. That's that's the Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think there's a big, bigger topic there we could maybe look at for a future um, piece, which is just about um, if if the pro sells better than the non-pro, why do you have a non-pro? Why don't you just have a pro and an ultra? How far can you push it? Anyway, uh, we'll go to the next question, which is, um, Martin, given the recent news about General Motors leaving behind Apple CarPlay uh, and sort of working with Android Auto to make their own built-in Android-ish system, uh, do we think that German automakers will succeed with their own car software or eventually give up and hand most of the car's entertainment and driving systems to the likes of Google, Apple, or even... Waymo, uh, if they're going to add the um, autonomous driving elements. Uh, can I start here? Because I've used uh, sure. Volkswagen's um, software. Which one, which one did you use? Uh, in the, um, I've used a bunch, like in the ID3, uh, as well as in the old e-golfs, and more recently, um, uh, not an electric golf, but a new, brand new golf, uh-huh. like a 2023 model. And yeah, the software isn't great. It's uh-huh. it tries. You can tell it tries, but the UI just isn't there. Um, it can be quite confusing to know where to go next. I think if you're sitting in that car every day for six months, then you probably find your way fairly easily. But uh, when you first get into it, it's poor. Um, I have tried Tesla software. It, it's, it's better at the same time. But I can also see why people really like Apple CarPlay and Android Auto because it, from car to car, it's the same. Uh, it's more like your phone interface. Um, the apps are there that you want. It It's just a bit more smooth. And the car makers are sort of resisting because they don't want to give away, they don't want to become a shell, a hardware shell for a software play, which is not owned by them. And, you know, they lose their differentiating factor. So um, I don't think German car makers will stop trying or any car maker that, that sort of hasn't given up already will stop trying. Um, but it's going to be tough because... Apple and Google are doing a fairly good job of just making plugging in something better. Yeah, so I think there's a level of uh, software that is going to be done by the car company, which is uh, you know like handling your driving systems and like your uh, infotainment system, which is yep. different from car to car. Um, and I also agree that car makers are not going to stop trying because it's it's going to be a terrible time for car companies. If the thing that ends up being the future of cars is that on the software side, you just run whatever Google or Apple gives you. And on the hardware side, you just run like a Qualcomm or an NVIDIA self-driving platform. Right. Uh, and then like batteries from LG and like that's it. Like that, you're, the, the whole value creation will be done by companies that are not the car brands themselves. At that point, you're really just like a 
the same as uh, PC makers or phone makers, who are essentially just assembling uh, finished solutions from other companies that that capture all the value. Um, I have to say that I've I haven't used the new Volkswagen software. I heard from people that they're just bringing out the new uh, version of their software, which is supposedly actually pretty good. Um, and I don't know if pretty good is a high enough <laughs> bar, but uh, uh, Volkswagen is definitely really trying, and, uh, yeah. and they're okay. they're putting a lot of a uh, lot of development muscle behind it. Um, uh, and so maybe some of them will succeed. I can also imagine that there's going to be quite a rift, so that maybe like smaller brands are going to just go with whatever Google does. We can see Polestar, for example, they just have Google's uh, software. They don't really have their own on top. Um, but I think the big brands are, at least for the next decade or so, they're going to try real hard. And uh, uh, there's also going to be companies like Huawei um, who are going to try to like create alternatives to the Google Apple ecosystem as well. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Okay, so the only thing I want to say there is that I definitely didn't try a, a version of the software that, that was radically different to one in the Volkswagen that I've tried in the last few years. So uh, I'll have to get my hands on the newest, newest and see if yeah. it's any better. Because, it's in the new, yeah, in the new IDs, uh, ID34. I think they just got it. I watched okay. a video about cool. it. Classic you. That's me. Um, <laughs> uh, Martin, uh, a question you missed from last week. You actually didn't get to talk about your favorite business software. Um, you only got to talk about the ones you didn't like. So um, what is your favorite? I think not. I, I didn't want to talk about my favorite business software. I wanted to talk about my favorite software. Uh, I, d- I don't wasn't, have any. Wasn't this related? But what, wasn't this related to business? Because we were talking about tax and whatever last week. Yeah, we were. But I don't have any favorite business software. They all suck. <laughs> okay, then what's your favorite software? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really, really like the way a Samsung phone works with a Microsoft computer, and it's gotten so much better. I, I, I've said this a couple of times already, but like, I just want to reiterate. This is Dex, right? No, no, no. Uh, just uh, your phone stuff and all the syncing between oh. a Samsung and a Windows. Like it's, okay, okay. it's gotten like every few months, they make it more reliable and better and faster and they add new features. And I'm like, wow, like it's it's genuinely a reason for me to not switch away from Samsung and genuinely a reason for me to uh, feel annoyed when I'm on my Mac and not on, on my Windows computer. Yeah. So I'm like, so what are you doing? What do you, what, what, what's like your... So that or what comes up regularly? The thing that they finally fixed that works so well now, which was like a thing before, but it took them a year to get it to work flawlessly, is clipboard sync. Uh, hey. And so it's even better than on a Mac because both Android and Windows have a clipboard history built in. Um, but uh, so you can copy anything on either device, and it syncs it over to the other, and then you can see you can copy multiple things over. And you have a list of all the things that you've copied. So that's, and it works instantly. It's super reliable. So I don't have to, I, I start, I did this in the past and then you always had to double check and then like maybe it, yep. uh, it didn't look. So now it works pretty much flawlessly. Um, I realized I use, I use Microsoft to do as my to do uh, manager. I realized that, uh, uh, Bixby does, uh, you can dictate a to do this. The only thing that I use voice assistance for is like remind me in X to do Y. Uh, yeah, and that actually syncs to Microsoft To Do automatically, so it shows up on my computer as well. Uh, the the um, syncing uh, photos got a lot better and a lot more reliable and everything. It's just it's really nice. It works super well. <laughs> I'm happy for you. Yeah, 
I um I guess I rely on Google a lot for a lot of these things. Not not I'm not talking about clipboard history, but just like these kind of uh, omnipresent the uh, abilities to you know sync things across devices. So maybe I should maybe I should try Chromebook. I, I, our listeners, I am torn about what to do about a laptop at the moment. I do I just keep holding on with my uh, old XPS? Do I switch to a Chromebook and try it out? Do I get just get an Apple device because they last so much longer? Even though I don't really want to use macOS anyway. That these are my problems, but yeah. these, the, every time someone talks about what they do with their devices, I'm like, oh, maybe I should do all the track. opportunities. <laughs> yeah, even though I know I'll just get it, open it, and be like, oh, it's just another computer. It has a keyboard <laughs> and a screen. <laughs> yeah. <the end. laughs> uh, okay, Martin. We end the podcast with the uh, trivia fact corner, um, and uh, the number this week is 24, and that is the minimum number of people who uh, the Wall Street Journal talked to. Uh, so over 24 executives, inventors, investors, and lawyers discussed how it went with them talking with Apple um, when Apple comes knocking and says, oh, we, we're interested in your product. We're interested in your tech. Uh, and they were all complaining that Apple copied their ideas. And Martin, there are quotes like, aspiring partners have, have accused the giant of poaching its employees and copying its tech. One even called it the kiss of death. And uh, this poor guy who had his blood oxygen uh, measurement technology taken uh, says, when Apple takes an interest in the company, it's the kiss of death. First, you get all excited. Then re- you realize long term, the long-term plan is to do it themselves and take it all. And he basically said, uh, Apple met with him about his blood oxygen measurement technology, which I already said. And then Apple began hiring all the employees and then later launched a watch that could measure blood oxygen levels with patents from some of those employees. Um, Martin, this, I, for, for, for people like us, we've, we've, we've heard about this for years. This goes way back to Steve Jobs who apparently would ring you if your company sort of got like, if you felt like Apple had taken your stuff, Steve Jobs would ring you and tell you that you were wrong and he would not apologize at all and just tell you that Apple's tactics have, you know. It was the most anyway, the, uh, Steve Jobs you'd think in the world, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're wrong. Me coming up with the exact same thing after I talked with you is not theft. We're not copying you. We're better than you that anyway. And if you try it, we're going to sue you into the ground. <laughs> Uh, he may have said some of those things that may be just Martin's that's, that's, AI copy. That's me paraphrasing, yeah. Yes. Um, but we, we should listen to the Apple spokesperson here who says on the other side of things, um, and they say, the truth is these companies are blatantly copying our products or stifling competition by using invalid patents. We continue to fight these baseless claims in court and to advance technologies on behalf of our customers and public health, which, bravo, that is a... Yeah, if, nice. if it's our technology that's being copied, then it's blatant theft and and whatever. Mm-hmm. If it's if we're copying their stuff, then they're just blocking innovation with silly patents. Like <laughs> that's how it works. We're they're not even silly. It's they're a one directional. It's a one directional thing. We can take. We you don't take from us. That's that's how it works. <laughs> yeah, it's not just I, it's not just Apple. To be clear, like a lot of companies do this. This is a, a classic modus operandi that you go, you talk to the company, and then you see. You decide what you do with them. If if it only works if you buy the whole company, then you try to buy them. If it works by only hiring key employees who will take all the knowledge to you, it's way cheaper, way better for you, and then just screw the other guys, who cares? And then if it doesn't, then you try to find your own uh, path and you develop it yourself. So it's, it's not unheard of, and a lot of companies do this. I've just heard about this happening at an unnamed Android company, but um, it's, it's, it's pretty common. But I think Apple is probably especially annoying about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that's that says it all. So, um, yeah, you got to be careful if Apple comes knocking. 
I think. If anyone um, comes knocking is interested in your tech, you got to be careful. Right. That makes sense. Um, that's a wrap, Martin. Thank you for your thoughts as always. Um, and for listeners, you can check Martin out at TechAltar and the Friday Checkout on YouTube uh, and on Mastodon via um, TechAltar um, around the traps as well. So thanks to everyone for tuning in. And we'll catch you next Friday. Indeed. Go to nebula.tv slash chillout if you haven't subscribed to Nebula yet. If you have, then thank you very much for watching us or listening to us there. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.